Good morning to our UK Column viewers and listeners. I'm delighted to be joined by Andrew Bridgen MP today, who's going to give us an update on what's been happening to him. And obviously, uh, as we can see, not least by his Twitter page, um, there's a lot of activity around Andrew and he's really engaged in a battle. So I'm going to say straight away, thank you very much for agreeing to come on to UK Column again this morning. It's a pleasure, Brian. And I wanted to start by playing out what I thought was an excellent and very concise little speech you made to a Reclaim audience recently. So we'll play that and then we can uh, have a discussion about what you had to say. A huge metropolitan policeman with a submachine gun came up to me in a quiet corner and this man was almost in tears. A man who, a man who would be expected in the event of a terrorist attack to lay down his life to protect, protect people like me, MPs. And he said to me, why should I? He says, he was near enough in tears and he said, you don't even, this parliament doesn't even protect our children anymore. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt that uh, on all the big issues, Labour and the Conservatives are in complete agreement. It's, it's a, a fallacy of, of, of opposition on the lockdowns, on the vaccines, on tax and spend, on handing powers to the WHO, on handing powers to the European army, the thing that didn't exist, we were told seven years ago, uh, on agreeing with the uh, OECD to set our corporate taxes. The sovereignty is being salami sliced away. It's the antithesis of taking back control. If you want real change in this country, you've got to change the way people vote. If you vote for the same, you'll get the same. And you're, you're just, we, we are, we're now currently nationally sleepwalking into a prison and it's a digital prison with 5G surveillance, digital ID, digital currency. And when that trap sh snaps shut, we will not get out of it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to reclaim our democracy. Vote for Lawrence Fox. Well Andrew, a very um, impassioned and serious little uh, speech that you gave there. But for me, this really captured what we're up against in the country. How, how did the I know uh, how did that little audience react to what you had to say to them? Well, it's fair, fair to say they're um, they're supporters of, of the party. Um, unfortunately, uh, Uxbridge and South Ryslip um, by-election turned into the big issue obviously was was ULES and voters thought that if they voted Conservative they were going to stop Sadiq Khan's um, ULES policy and that's not going to happen because clearly you know the Conservatives are completely committed to net zero. I'd spoken in a debate um, a couple of weeks ago where I was the only I was the only voice uh, raising concerns about the cost and effectiveness of the net zero policy in, in the whole debate of the House. Um, so Again, the Union Party completely agrees. The uh, the aim is is net zero, and you know no minister can tell me the cost. It's going to be somewhere. The minimum is is a trillion pounds, a thousand billion, and it's probably going to be five. Um, I imagine, given the state of the uh, the national debt, that's the last thing we want at the moment. And when you think that the UK is only about one percent of world emissions, and China are being allowed to double their emissions. All this green technology that we're importing, the uh, solar panels, the wind turbines, the electric cars, they're all being produced using fossil fuels in China. Um, it really doesn't add up, Brian, at all. 
Uh, well, it doesn't add up to us, but it apparently adds up to some people. I love this expression, the uni party, because this is something that I think the UK column has been pushing for a number of years, that really there's no difference between the major political parties. They follow uh, the particular agendas, many of which you say, and we would, we would agree, um, are not doing the best for the people of this country. Just before we, we, we move off the subject to reclaim party, I just wanted to bring a couple of, of um, images up on screen for people who may not have uh, been aware of what's going on. You put out um, a little tweet here. Uh, the Westminster Uniparty are happy to continue to erode British sovereignty. And that was where the clip came from. So that was absolutely on the button. Here's Reclaim Party from the website uh, with, a, with a, an emotive um, image of Lawrence Fox. Uh, we've got your good self there as well. Uh, this is uh, Lawrence Fox's personal page. I'm an actor and not a politician. I don't want to be a politician. But after my appearance on Question Time in 2020, I was denounced by the Actors Union Equity for saying Britain was a warm and tolerant society. I was socially, culturally and economically cancelled. Overnight, I lost my 22-year career for something I said. This is really the meat of where we are in this country at the moment, Andrew, because when people stand up to challenge what is the Westminster Uniparty view, um, they're very quickly suppressed. And of course, you've been in the, in the forefront of that. How, how can we wake people up to the, the fact that we're now on censored speech in UK in 2023? Well, it, it, it's a fact, isn't it? I mean, the moment I stood up in the chamber and challenged the narrative over the vaccine harms and the, the wisdom of trying to roll out these experimental vaccines to children down to the age of six months, when no healthy child under 11 has, has died of COVID, I think anywhere in the world, um, you know, immediately I was cancelled by the mainstream media. I've now, you know, really not, apart from a couple of appearances on GB News, um, that, that's been it. And I was, you know, before that, I was probably interviewed by all the TV channels at least once a week, often more than that, and uh, quoted in the national press. But I mean, that, that all stopped immediately. Uh, when I've tried to speak to local BBC uh, about my concerns about the vaccine harms, I've been told that the, they've been told locally not to deal with vaccine harms. That's being dealt with by a, a group in London at, um, at New Broadcasting House. And when I asked to be put in touch with them, um, I didn't get any, any comeback from the BBC at all. So if you, if, you, if you challenge the narrative, whether that's on net zero, on the vaccines, um, on giving our sovereignty away of our military through PESCO and the European Defence Force, um, you're just cancelled. Uh, and the Uniparty agree on all these issues. Um, and, and also the WHO, which is, you know, I would say that the sovereignty will be giving away with the WHO pandemic treaty and the amendments to the international health regulations. Um, as a Brexiteer, um, I find them rather, you know, considerably more frightening than, uh, than ever being in the European Union. You are identifying the Uniparty, and this makes sense to me. There's no difference between the major parties in, in power and out of power. But you're also describing their control of the media, that the media 
is working alongside this political agenda. And this to me is particularly dangerous because, of course, it's that media which can sway the opinion of people in this country, whether it's on one particular subject like climate change or whether it's on a purely political agenda, uh, such as who is going to be elected in a local by-election. How, how do you explain this um, very cosy Well, the, the BBC, the BBC re- refused to interview Lawrence Fox during the by-election campaign, and I actually attended the account, the account with Lawrence, and the BBC, we offered to interview, be interviewed by the BBC at the count, and the BBC producer actually said, uh, I'm not interviewing viewing Lawrence Fox or Andrew Bridgen, and even if Lawrence Fox won the by-election, we wouldn't be interviewing him. Um, my mind goes back many years ago when I stood as a parliamentary candidate and BBC Radio Devon gave me six minutes, uh, sorry, six seconds to repeat my name and... Uh, the fact I was standing as an independent, I was not given any time in order to talk about why I was standing or what I thought the critical issues were. And I also found that I was banned from all the hustings, even though I was standing as an independent. So I've, I've experienced this at a smaller scale myself many years ago. Um, but this is the mix. We've got politics in bed uh, with the media and this is really the start of the uh, prison system, which you were you're warning people about in the in the reclaimed talk that we've just played on screen. Well, you've got the BBC have now set up uh, themselves as the arbiter of truth and transparency uh, with their verify unit. Well, I can tell you that the, the bad law project that works alongside reclaim, um, they're going to be taking, I believe, legal action against verified for making false accusations, clearly false statements they made uh, about um, the uh, journalist Carl Benjamin of the Lotus Eaters. And um, it's going to be pretty embarrassing for uh, the BBC that they set themselves up as the the arbiter and the paragon of truth and transparency. And then they put out false information about people. Um, And we've seen the BBC have had to apologise to Nigel Farage. I mean, it wonders where the Verify unit is working if they if they let the BBC put out false statements themselves that they then have to retract. And we've also got the BBC, of course, operating the so-called democracy reporters in local uh, newspapers. So you think uh, when you pick up your local newspaper that you're getting independent local news. You then discover that in the mix of the BBC democracy reporters, who, in my opinion, are, are simply making sure that the national BBC agenda is is gently drifted into those local publications. I used to appear on the the East Midlands version of the Politics Show, which is the last segment after the national programme, probably once every two months. Um, I've been told by the BBC I won't be featuring on that now that I'm in the Reclaim Party. Um, they've just censored me out of local politics as far as the BBC are concerned. I don't exist. Come to the Reclaim Manifesto, which um, I, I'd encourage people to go to the to the Reclaim Party website and have a look through the full document. We want to reclaim. We want to reclaim our freedoms. We want to reclaim our institutions. We want to reclaim our government. We want genuine diversity of thought. We want equality of opportunity. We want to take politics out of our state institutions. We want to pay our taxes for services 
uh, not lectures. It's our belief that anything which is not expressly prohibited by the state is therefore permitted. I thought this was a pretty concise um, commentary on the state of the country. But even to have the name reclaim what you're suggesting to the uh, to the reader, to the general public, is that something has gripped our system of government. Something's gripped politics. It's clearly heavily embedded. And you say we need to reclaim the country. What has taken over the country? How is it that we're now in a stage where there is no proper debate in, in Westminster on important subjects, whether they're national or international? There's no freedom of the press. And as you said in your, your talk to the uh, reclaim audience, uh, a policeman was now desperately upset about what was happening with children in schools. What is this monster, in your opinion, that's taken over UK politics and much, I think, of the nation? I think large corporations have got huge power now. They're bigger than nations around the world, international business. Uh, you've got your Black Rocks and Vanguards, which are major shareholders in in, in enormous number of, uh, of worldwide companies. And, and quite honestly, the power that they're exerting um, over governments around the world is uh, is fairly malign. Um, you, you're seeing lots of evidence from independent journalists who've in, interviewed um, people who work in these companies, and they're, they're, they're pretty forthright about how they have the ability to influence elected politicians or, you know, elected politicians at the end of the day, we're there to represent the people who voted for us. Um, and I think, you know, we've, we've lost, we've lost a lot of that. And it's not just in this country, Brian, we're seeing, you know, the same, the same issues rising in the democracies around, around the world at the same time. I had a, a, a good meeting of several months ago with some uh, fairly switched on Australian senators. And it's amazing that the, uh, the same problems we're having with PHSE in our schools, sex education and the uh, trans ideology, that's all happening in Australia at exactly the same time. Um, it and seems I, to be very, the, very coordinated. Uh, well, you say coordinated, but of course, for it to happen in different nation states around the world, we've clearly got a global agenda at work. And um, what can we label this? Well, we could certainly have a go at labelling it rules-based international order, because this is the expression that's constantly pushed out to the public without any definition of who is going to run that rules-based international order, nor do we get any detail on what the rules they want well, to I'm, impose I'm not, are. Well, I'm not sure who, who, who no, no, the World Economic Forum and Davos and politicians going out there. I mean, you know, Keir Starmer took his cabinet out there uh, this year and came back and was interviewed by Laura Koonsberg. She asked him, where do you prefer Westminster or Davos? And he, he was quite open about it. He said, you know, I prefer Davos. I can do business with these people. Well, I mean, that shows you where he believes the, the power, the power lies. And uh, that's the opposite of taking back control. And I think, you know, who voted for these people who voted for Klaus Schwab? You know, why is, um, you know, Bill Gates flies in from America and meets the prime minister and various cabinet ministers and advises about pandemic responses and climate change. Well, what are his qualifications and who voted for him? Nobody. And he has 
immense in, uh, influence over elected politicians, uh, which um, I'm not convinced that's in the interests of the public in the UK. And we're seeing policies being brought in, which, you know, we're not voting for the low traffic neighbourhoods. Who's voted for any of this? And we're getting major kickback, obviously, from quite rightly from from the public who can see what well, I think our, our democracy is being subverted. Um, people have got to wake up to to actually what's what's going on in this country at the moment. And it's not just this country, it's going on around the world. It's going on around the world, Ab absolutely. Well, you used a key word there, haven't you, which is subversion. And this is, this is a word which I think is, is the right word to apply. It's certainly a word that I, I've used in talks to the public going back many years where you sense that something was at work to actually destroy the fabric of society. And if you take a detached look, it does feel as if something is working inside our society and it's destroying the institutions one by one. We, we used to um, say that we had parliament, mother of all parliaments, if you want to call it that. And uh, this was a model for, for, for the world where subjects were discussed and uh, a gentlemanly agreement was made on what the best policy was. All that has gone out of the window. We can't run the National Health Service. That's all collapsing around us. Uh, we can't uh, educate children in the subjects that they need for a proper life. We've got big problems with a woke agenda inside the military. This can't be happening by accident. Uh, Subversion is a pretty strong word to use, but it does appear that some something, somebody, some forces are at work to destroy our institutions from the inside in order to transform society. That's that's the way I would see it. Um, it's difficult to see how the destruction that's being done to our institutions, our economy, I mean, if it were planned, it, it couldn't have been delivered much better. Uh, and there is no political debate. There's no opposition to any of the measures that have led us to this this position. So whether it's on lockdowns, mandates, vaccines, um, net zero uh, and the costs of that, giving powers away, our forces away to uh, the European defence uh, force. I mean, the next thing will be uh, that uh, you know, Germany and France have announced that they Europe should have its nuclear deterrent. Well, I'll, I, I, I have a sneaky suspicion that they've got their eyes on sharing ours. Um, and in which case we won't have a, an independent nuclear deterrent anymore. Under PESCO, we're going to be having uh, defence agreements where all the ammunition is going to be manufactured in a certain place. Well, there is no sovereignty without sovereignty of defence, of your own defence. And if, if you're not in control of your own ammunition supply, um, that will di dictate the policy of, 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 of what we do as a, an independent nation. And that will be ended once we don't have control of our own armed forces effectively. This, this is a very good point. And of course, we were led to believe that uh, once Brexit had happened, uh, all these problems would be gone and we'd be operating as an independent nation well, we, again. But go it's, ahead. It's very clear, Brian, that, 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 that defence was a taboo subject during Brexit. And the reason for that is that uh, even back as far as Tony Blair, they'd actually agreed that we were going into this European Defence Pact uh, European army, but they knew it was politically um, unpalatable to the electorate, so they never told them. Uh, and 
successive prime ministers have uh, continued on that trajectory without ever informing the electorate that that's actually what's being done. Uh, but I can assure your viewers that that is what's being done. And I've asked this question before, but I need to ask it again because a lot, lot of people ask us about it. And that is that you are seeing these things at the moment and you obviously see them very clearly and you feel very strongly that things are not going in the right direction. Um, what about your colleagues, people who are still there as MPs in Westminster? How is it, how is it they don't see it? Or perhaps a better question is, say, do some of them see what you see? Yes, they do. Um, and it's more than that. There are, there are about 4,000 real people who work in, in Parliament, and they're the cooks, the cleaners, the security guards, the clerks, the staff for other MPs. Um, you know, very few of the people who actually work in Parliament are elected MPs or members of the House of Lords. And they're all very, very politically aware. So even, even the cleaners in Parliament are politically aware. And I would say that 75-80% of them, they'll come up to me probably outside the House because if they, they express a political opinion, they would probably lose their jobs. But um, and, and, and they know that what I'm saying in Parliament and the issues I'm campaigning on are, uh, are absolutely right. I mean, I've even had members of staff of MPs who would stand in the chamber today and say that the, the lockdowns were necessary and essential and the vaccines are safe and effective. I've had their own staff come to me and say, when is this cover-up going to end? Um, and you know, they know. Right. So, it, so, so when, when a, a couple of weeks ago, um, a, a very nice former Conservative colleague, she came up to me, she's not been in the house very long, and she said, Andrew, I'm really worried about you. You're, you're very isolated. You eat all your meals on your own. You stand in the chamber on your own and you speak. I think, you're, you know, you're really isolated. And I said, look, you know, 80% of the, of the people who really work in Parliament are, are supporting me and speaking to me privately and urging me to continue. Um, it's not really me that's, that's isolated. It's actually the MPs who aren't doing the right thing. They just don't realise it yet. Andrew, that, that's a very encouraging response because what you're effectively saying is that the truth, under the surface, the truth is spreading and more and more people and are... I, and I've come to the conclusion, Brian, that the last place that's going to admit the truth, unfortunately, and it should be the first place, is the Chamber of the House of Commons. So when all the rest of the country um, have come to the conclusion that things aren't right, the last place that will admit it, unfortunately, is the House of Commons. And, you know, what's been done to me over the last, and it's not even the last six months, the last few years, um, by the Conservative Party, uh, the Uni Party, um, I mean, 75% of that was to teach the other MPs a lesson, and it's worked. So you've got MPs who are scared, and you've got, certainly got colleagues who are compromised. I mean, they, they, they offered me a year last Jan January I was offered anything I wanted. Tell us what you want. Um, and it was pretty obvious um, that they so, were, were quite happy to buy my silence. Well, you know, I think when I said to them, well, the first thing will be the Prime Minister's resignation letter, that, uh, that sort of soured the pot for them a bit, really. Yes. 
But what we've got there is, is, is a layer of fear which is ultimately controlling people. Well, they, they're compromised, and that is they're being put under pressure to keep them quiet. Some are probably susceptible to uh, the brown envelope of whatever well, it, was, it contains. It was very interesting as well, Brian, that, that at the moment I was suspended from the party, they started reselections for the next general election. That wasn't by accident. You know, they basically were saying, you know, Andrew Bridgen's not going to get reselected as a Conservative. Uh, you know, he might have a 20,000-odd majority, but he's out of the party. You don't want this to happen to you. We're having the reselections now. That was to keep people in line. But I think I have, I have been – there are a few colleagues who have come under such pressure from their constituents, and the evidence is so overwhelming on the vaccine harms that uh, they will have to speak out this autumn. Um probably a, obviously a year after I spoke out. But, you know, the, there's, I think Winston Churchill said, you know, the truth is the truth and ultimately it's, it's, it's out there so they can attack you all they want to. But, the, you know, there's no evidence going to come out in the next few months that says actually Andrew Bridgham is completely wrong. The, the vaccines were safe and effective after all. The evidence is always only going one way. And that's despite the fact that the mainstream media uh, basically are, uh, are putting a blackout on... Uh, on lots, lots and lots of information that's vitally important to the public. I mean, the, the, the mainstream media. I mean, they're not. They haven't got their hands dipped in the blood. They're up to their armpits in it, uh, Brian. It's it's going to be catastrophic for them uh, when the truth actually all does come out. And um, it's yeah. it's we're going to need a bit of um, TLC for for those who uh, haven't realised until the end. Yes, it's going to be difficult times for people. Uh, just un, un, I will just underline for viewers and listeners that, of course, you, you pointed out there that people can make a difference in the constituencies. What they do and say within a constituency can still, despite all this machinery in Westminster, put uh, the local party and the sitting MP under a great deal of pressure and I think many people um, at the moment uh, feel that they can't do anything when, in fact, if enough of them, a few thousand in each constituency said, no, 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 we're not having this. And they started reasonable, polite, um, lawful campaigns to express their unhappiness to the local uh, MP, things would start to change because ultimately that's where the power base is. Um, and also, but yeah. as, as we move closer to a, an inevitable general election, uh, that's when the electors have the most power because they have the power to uh, give or withhold their vote. I mean, I did say, I think that the speech that went fairly viral in the European Parliament a few weeks ago, I think I finished that speech off by saying that, uh, you know, when the, uh, when the people are scared of the politicians, that's tyranny. And I think, you know, we've moved from a parliament, I thought I was joining a parliament... 13 and a half years ago that was legislating for the people. We seem to have moved to a parliament that, that inflicts legislation upon the people. Um, but when the politicians are scared of the people, that's democracy. Well, we, we do need to get to the latter. And there's no better time than the approaching general election to uh, to point out that we are we all should be the servants of the people. We're not their masters. And the people will decide who who represents them in our parliament, not the parties. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, Well, of course, when you tried to speak out at one stage, you were, I will use the expression, you were smeared by a particular individual, uh, which you've obviously taken great exception to, and you're now on the path for legal action. Um, We have got the little clip um, that you made about this incident. And of course, you were thanking the public for their tremendous support in donating to the the, uh, pot for legal support. Um, would you like to just introduce really your own clip? What was it that uh, what was it that uh, made you think that you really had to take some action on this one? Well, I mean the the old um, smear of uh, anti-Semitism. Um, I mean it is. I mean I. I, it, I mean I was thrown out of the Conservative Party for a tweet which I've never, ever had the codes to my Twitter. It's always moderated by someone. And the person who moderated that tweet and approved it was the Conservative Association chairman in northwest Leicestershire, uh, who didn't have the guts to stand up in front of the association and say, well, I didn't see anything wrong with this tweet. He just sided with the party and uh, then sent out an email saying, a, a tweet saying that the local party completely supported my suspension, despite the fact that he was the one that moderated and, and authorised uh, that tweet and the tweet was retweeting a scientist from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Um, there was also a, a letter that went to number 10 uh, following my suspension, um, a- accusing uh, from 25 of the world's leading Jewish scientists and doctors, accusing number 10 of uh, falsely accusing me of anti Semitism, undermining anti- real anti Semitism, and seeking to shut down freedom of speech, which they saw as the first sign of an authoritarian regime and obviously fairly worrying um i can i can tell you brian that that letter was never answered by number 10 first of all they said they hadn't got it then it was sent recorded delivery and it was signed for but they still never responded to uh, to that yeah. it's, that that's a sad state of, of democracy and accountability um and i think that just undermines exactly the spurious nature and we're seeing the same strategy played out i mean uh, robert Kennedy Jr.'s being smeared the same way, and no doubt um, Mr. Trump will be smeared the same way. It is uh, it is the, the playbook that they they use um, to uh, try and silence people and and mark them as uh, as anti Semites, which is is ludicrous. Indeed, let's have a look at the uh, clip and hear what you had to say. I want to update you on the status of my defamation case against Mr. Hancock. The claim form has now been lodged. This means the details of my claim will be served on his solicitors in the coming weeks. My case rests simply on this point. MPs must be able to debate important issues in the public interest without ridiculous smear campaigns being waged against them. I'm very grateful for your amazing generosity in supporting me in this case. Just under £100,000 has been raised, which shows the public cares deeply about government COVID policy, vaccine harms, and the right to speak freely about such issues. I repeat that any funds remaining after the completion of the claim will go to charities supporting the vaccine injured, as will any compensation due to me by Mr Hancock as a result of this action. I will share a fresh update on the claim in due course, including sharing the views of some very significant public figures that have agreed to be witnesses on my behalf. Thank you very much for listening to me. 
Once again, Andrew, great to see that the public is responding to you. And uh, obviously, you're getting close to that total there. So I'm going to say now to the UK column audience, um, if you'd like to support that, go and have a uh, go to go to the page and you can make a donation and contribute uh, to this funding appeal. It seems to me very important that we challenge anything which is to do with stopping free speech or trying to undermine people who are speaking out. Um, few minutes. We've still got a few minutes, Andrew. I just wanted to bring in as much as I can in the time remaining. Uh, so to the audience, I want to say, please do go and have a look at Andrew Bridgen's Twitter page. He's got a lot of information. Let's just flick through a few things. Um, this was talking about what uh, what was going on in schools. Uh, we've got another one here, which is talking about uh, what Mr. Rishi Sunak has been up to, but the harmful trans ideology in schools. Uh, this one, very important because we've got a mix of what the BBC has been up to with what the banks have been doing to Nigel Farage uh, in trying to close him down for what he has to say. So that's another attack on free speech. Uh, this one here is over that emotive issue of the ultra low emission zones. And uh, we know that the UK column audience are very, very interested in what's going on there in the 15 minute cities. And of course, Andrew, you've been very big um, in pointing out the excess deaths and of course, standing up for the vaccine injured. Now, uh, if I may, in just a couple of minutes, because I know you've, you've got to leave us very shortly, I wondered if I could just pop up on screen for you this key document, which we encountered uh, back in 2010. It was the cabinet office. The document was called Mindspace. Uh, people can freeze the screen here and read the detail. Uh, but essentially what this document was doing was saying that the government was going to be able to use applied psychology through its behavioral insights team in order to think, uh, in order to change the way people thought and behaved. Uh, when we discovered this at the time, Andrew, I thought it was an immensely dangerous document because if, as you've really detailed, we've got a government which is, at least in Westminster, working on the basis of fear to have those same politicians in control of applied psychology to impose fear or adherence to government policy on the wider public. This is something very dangerous happening. Have you come across this behavioural insights team uh, stuff in Westminster? And if so, what do you think about it? Part of my degree was in was in behaviour, and um, I, I was sold it under David Cameron having the nudge department, and I was told, well, what it's going to be is it's about messaging, and you know, on, on your tax return, instead of saying to people, you know, if you don't return this tax return on time, you're, you're going to get fined two hundred pounds. The message, the nudge message, might have been, mm, you know, ninety nine percent of people do return this form on time and don't get fined two hundred pounds. But I mean, what we've moved from from a nudge department to nudge people in the right direction, uh, as I said in the chamber some years ago, we've moved to a shove department who are shoving my constituents around and I don't like being shoved around and I certainly don't like my constituents being shoved around. The uh, the suicide rate, despite the government's claims that uh, lockdowns didn't and, and the messaging didn't contribute to that, the suicide rate in North West Leicestershire went up 350% during the lockdowns with that messaging. I was, in, one, in one month I had more people commit suicide 
um, than we would normally expect in, in a year. Um, and I don't like seeing my constituents being regarded as, as, as acceptable collateral damage, their lives, to push forward which I would say is deeply flawed government policy, and that's where we are at the moment. Uh, we need to stop doing it. Um, it, it. It may even be criminal, I, sh I should imagine. That's an interesting comment because in the Mindspace document itself, at one particular point, it says, we effectively, I'm paraphrasing, we need to be careful uh, with using these techniques uh, because the public could turn on us and say that effectively we were... Uh, we were using coercion. So whoever wrote that document recognised that they were sailing very, very close to the, uh, to the edge and uh, the public, uh, I, I think they were frightened of the public really understanding what was going on. I, I think it's criminal because you're using psychology to influence people without knowing about it. And that's effectively assault, or it seems to me it could be called assault. And of course, and the, and the people who are most prone to this are, are the younger generations who don't perhaps have the resilience to realise that not everything they see on the television or reading the newspapers is gospel truth. And uh, the governments may spin things in certain ways to achieve their own ends um, and the, the the psychological damage that's been done to younger generations I mean, i'm seeing it in the schools now so much uh, demand now for uh, for counseling um and it's relentless i mean so as soon as you you know so as soon as the uh, covid emergency is over and i'm not even sure it's over yet you know we've got the climate emergency we've got the cost of living emergency everything's an emergency uh, as I've said previously, you know, the idea of government is that we problems facing the public, we deal with them and let them get on with their lives. And what we're seeing through this psychological preying put on the public is that problems being pushed onto the public. Uh, and, um, and that is not the way to, to, to run a government. Uh, and that's not in the interest of the nation. And it's, you know, we're seeing the collateral damage in mental health it's, uh, it's, it's enormous, and particularly on the younger generations who don't yeah. have the resilience to cope with them. Thank you very, very much for that. We're just about out of, out, out of time. But for you, what, what would you like to say to the UK Column audience? What can they do for you to help you? Well, if they could follow me on Twitter, that would be helpful. If they can support my Campbell to do so uh, for the legal costs to make sure that Hancock to and clear that uh, issue up uh, and be aware. I mean, quietly, those who realise what's going on, I think we're gentle with the people who, who don't realise what's going on at the moment. It's going to come as a shock to them and they should, uh, should be kind to them. Um, if, if you're aware what's going on, uh, you're one of the lucky. It is growing. It's growing pretty much eventually and it might only be, Five percent of the public, but the time it's taken from five to twenty-five percent, it'll be the same to get. It. Um, and at the end of the day, the truth is the truth. The truth will will come out. And uh, I would say that we should have confidence. I've got great confidence in the human spirit. It's pretty irrepressible, and that uh, ultimately, it's not much about left and right anymore. With the Uniparty, it's about right and wrong. And I think that right generally wins because 
we've been around on this planet for quite a long time. And if, uh, and if evil was the winning strategy and, and things being wrong, people would all be evil by now. And, and most people are still good. So I'm pretty confident that we're going to win in the end. Oh. I would like it to be rather sooner rather than later because uh, things are probably going to get a lot worse in the next 12 months before they get better. Yeah, Andrew, a fantastic end, a very positive statement. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. Uh, have a good day. And uh, yes, we'll all continue fighting. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.